0: So if you would stand and uh, turn to Romans 14 with me. Uh, Romans 14, verse 1 through 9. Now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. One person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. The the one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat, and the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person regards one day above another. Another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it for the Lord, and he who eats does so for the Lord. For he gives thanks to God, and he who eats not for the Lord, he does not eat and gives thanks to God. For not one of us lives for himself, and not one dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord, or if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again. That he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. Yeah, you seated. Thanks.
1: Good morning. Um, I'm thrilled for Gabe and Naomi um, to be able to prepare, and prepare to go on the mission field. Um, we bring these people before you because we're excited. My commitment, my expectation, I pray for you guys as well, is that we would be faithful to pray for them and uh, respond to, as the Lord has convicted us, Uh, the body of Christ is is gifted with many gifts, and we are expected to serve one another as we serve Christ together, and so um, thrilled that God has not stopped providing opportunities around the world for people to hear his word. And uh, with that, we get a look at his word this morning um, and I think that uh, so often we take it for granted the privileges that we have um, to know God accurately, to be convicted by it, um, to be able to know for sure how to be obedient to it, and the the uh, conviction that it provides for us, um, especially on a topic like this. so with those things, I, I think it would be if you would Join me in prayer. I think that would be helpful for us too as we consider. And in just an act of response of worship that we have the word for us to read for ourselves this morning. Lord, I thank you. Um, The psalmist says that your word is precious. Gives life. Jesus himself, even in the wilderness, denies turning a rock into food after being without food for 40 days. For he deemed it better to live upon the words of God than to have food. So quickly we live our days without even paying attention to it. Considering it for ourselves, how we ought to know you, know ourselves, how to treat one another. Sometimes we even hear your word, how it might convict us of sin, and yet that we don't respond knowing truthfully and honorably that what you call us to are good things. So, Lord, I, I don't want to be one that asks to be a student of your word. I want to be one that, as James encourages his readers with, and Jesus as well, that we would be doers. What a privilege it is that we get to understand these things. And so as we reflect on them as a people, Lord, I pray that we be faithful to be obedient to them, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Alan read from Romans chapter 14, verse 1 through 9. But if you could give me just a moment, I'd like to read verse 1 again. Now, accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his, and it does not say sins. Specific in the word that he writes, because we recognize that Sins separate us. As a people of God, we recognize that we don't, well, Christians take sin seriously seriously. In fact, we recognize that there's a word here that Paul uses, and it's called in his word, the term that he uses is opinions. We recognize within the, the, the church that we are not to accept or welcome sin in our presence. But Paul doesn't use another word. It's doctrine. He doesn't write Now, except the one who is weak in faith, not for the purpose of passing judgment on his doctrines. No, we know that doctrines divide. We we recognize that our gathering together, our expression of fellowship, our expression of hearing God's Word, there's doctrinal elements that we respond to that we recognize that divide us from, from those who think differently. And so, one thing that we recognize as Christians, that we recognize that sin separates, we recognize the benefit of having sound doctrine as it guides and gives us instruction how to live this present life, and that will separate us from one, one another. And we ought to guard those things, as Paul would instruct Timothy. But when it comes to opinions, Paul uses an entirely different message. He says, accept, Welcome. I find it fascinating that there has not been, even in the last two years, or I can find in my own entire life, there has never been a shortage on opinions. And I know, as we continue to go on, there will be no longer a shortage of opinions. It will grow with inflation. But the reality is, is that there's an attitude within the people of God that we respond rightly towards opinions. Because we recognize that within the people of God, we have diversity. And we come from a variety of different backgrounds. And I'd like to get pointed on some of our own opinions and how we use our opinions at times as decrees. Decrees for everyone else to live by. I want to be careful. The, the church of God is so unique that it can bear one another's opinion. We've had to learn anything, I think, in the recent years. We've had to learn and work this out. As we recognize that we all have opinions. Not just outside this facility or outside of our fellowship. We recognize that the world has all sorts of opinions of how to live life, how to, what jobs are most profitable and beneficial. Um, but with, even within the church of God, as a people of God and as individuals, like there are endless opinions of how we ought to be doing what we 're doing, so as to honor the Lord the most and so if you would allow me, I just want to rather quickly make this abundantly clear what Paul is not saying in Romans fourteen in our first point i 'll try to go through this quickly, and then recognize in our point, second point the diverse opinions that the church should have and welcome you 'll notice that Romans 14 can be used just as many have used Matthew 7.1, which says, do not judge so that you will not be judged. They take an issue of Christ that's been taught, and they take it in isolation to validate their patterns of life. You don't have the right to tell me what to do, but we know as the church, as the people of God, that Paul, like Jesus, as the people of God, does not use this passage, nor the passage before us in Matthew, to validate the use of sin. I just want to make this abundantly clear. We do judge one another, right? Especially in the sense when it comes to, to sin. And by judge, I might, that might sound harsh. We, we graciously plea with one another in compassion that we flee from our Sin, former sins and our former passions. Romans 13, 14, we just read last week. Paul tells the people of God, put on the Lord Jesus Christ, make no provision for the flesh in regards to its lusts or cravings. Right? The church takes its sins seriously. So we don't go into Romans 14 thinking that Paul is giving reference to letting people do whatever they want. He's being uh, quite clear, acknowledging that there's going to be a diversity of opinion within the people of God. But when it comes to sin, we recognize how we ought to protect and take it seriously. Uh, 1 Corinthians 5.9, he writes to the church there, I wrote you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. Yeah, they thought Paul meant the world. No, I did not at all mean with immoral people of this world or with covetous, or swindlers or with idolaters, for then you would have to go out of the world. For then you would have to go out of the world. But actually, I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he is an immoral person or covetous, or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. Wow. That seems divisive, right? Well, within the people of God, we take sin seriously. And so we confront one another. We love one another. We call people from it, right? So we, we, when we read passages like Matthew 7 or Romans 14, as they might be done at times, we might use them or be tempted to. Well, that's just your opinion. When we recognize and know full and well that what we're doing is sinful, Paul would say, no, we take sin seriously. 1 Corinthians 5.12 continues, as Paul says. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Yeah. Do you not judge those who are within the church? The point is, yes, you do. Right. So, so we recognize that there is a relationship that we ought to have with one another. Um, that we do get to speak into each other's lives. But those who are outside God judges. Remove the wicked man from among yourselves. Uh, how tempting it would be, and I've stressed this before, is that, that you have the signs that sit outside the church, come as you are, and then you apply these verses and we leave it all the same. The people of God don't have that model in their mind. Right? We do have a relationship expectation between one another that we are not to accept, as Romans 14 says, sin in the midst of the beloved. The means by which we recognize the table. We recognize that we ought to come to it rightly. I want to talk about communion. 2 Thessalonians, one more. I won't overstate this, but I just want to make it abundantly clear. And when I make it abundantly clear, I'm inviting you as well into my own life. Right? Like, if I am in sin, this is what Christians do. We ought to love and plead with each other from these things. Don't accept it or welcome it. Right? 2 Thessalonians 3.6. Now we commend you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that you keep away from every brother who leads an unruly right life. We get to have expectations for one another, right? We do this in our homes with our own children, own spouses, right? When we tell our children to clean their room, there's an expectation of obedience. And we will fight that fight for, for a long time, right? But the reality is, is that as the people of God, what Paul is not saying is that we just give approval to sin, but also we also recognize that he's not giving approval to a variation of doctrines, right? The people have gone, believe something. Paul will labor on this on, and if you were to consider with me, even Second Thessalonians 3, 6. All I'm trying to do right now is say what it's not saying, right? I think it's helpful. Now we commend you, brethren, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from every brother who leads an unruly life. There's expectations we ought to have one another. And are not according to the tradition which you received from us. Wait, we believe something. As a result of this same belief, that we entered this world as sinners, in desperate need of a Savior, that Christ was, God was gracious to us in Christ, that he died for his sins, and three days later rose from the grave, He sends him to the Father, and he will return. We believe these things. In light of this beliefs, in light of His return, we have this one opportunity in the present life to repent and make Him Lord of our life. We hold these things dear. Because He's Lord, He has expectation for His people. This is doctrine. We don't get to, do, to take away from these traditions. Even in, um, oh, let me read Second Thessalonians 3.14, if anyone does not obey our instructions in this letter, take simple special note of that person. Do not associate with him, so that he will put to shame. You do not regard him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Like we believe, we ought to believe rightly. In fact, this is what Romans twelve, he had started out in the very beginning. We have to think rightly concerning different things. Paul will actually conclude this letter in chapter 16, with this word: "Now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances, contrary to the teaching which you learned, and turn away from them." I state all this.? Right? We're about to tiptoe into opinions, right? But as we tiptoe into the opinions, we, we sometimes have been faced with this criticism that we do divide over certain things. Yes, we do. Right? There are some things that we take seriously. We take our convictions of doctrine seriously and we ought to know those things. I've stressed this when we went through Romans 12 and 13 several weeks ago that the church of God, the people of God, must know, be adequately clear and familiar with what is right and what is wrong. Right? So that we recognize where we fall into sin and where we ought to act in obedience. The challenge is, is, that how we relate to one another and brotherliness as we walk this life out together. And as he walks through these things in Romans 12 and 13, he turns to 14 to acknowledge th- everything that is true throughout all ch- church history. Everyone has an opinion. And wonderful that he has given the grace. Paul, speaking by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the will of God, he acknowledges and gives to the the people in the church the freedom. that God has given us the freedom to walk according to our convictions. Now, Paul has picked two issues. I'll try to allude to a couple others. But let's go to point two, recognizing what Paul has not said. He acknowledges these diverse opinions. And the, pick, the, the choices that he's picked stand completely at odds with one another. A friend growing up in high school, all she would eat was no meat. She would, she would eat anything but not meat. And so we would go literally to McDonald's and she would ask for a Big Mac without the meat. I don't know what that is. Um, and we'd always use this passage... To, to, to state you're weak and we are strong. For the, but that's not what Paul's doing. <laughs> the reality is, is that we know like these things stand in harsh contrast to one another. One's going to eat the salad and one's going to eat the meat. The other is, is that um, one will celebrate certain holidays and see them as very influential in establishing patterns of worship in their pursuit of Christ. Whereas others could care less. Not see any day significance. How do Christians, in the freedoms that we have, when we face different opinions, supposed to act? I'd almost want to, and I can't because we got to get done with Romans someday. But Romans one for fourteen, verse one, he says, "Except," some of your translations might say, "Welcome." Or another idea is to bring in to the fellowship of a group of people who think might think differently. Man, that is how the people of God ought to live. We recognize that there is a variety of opinions, but we recognize they don't sit in the category of sin, nor they sit in the category of doctrine, that God has allowed people the ability to think. And respond in faith towards those convictions. And the church's response to these things ought to be it's welcome to hear. Man, let me get specific. When Paul says, let me read it one more time now accept the one who is weak in faith, one who wants to be right, right? He, he struggles with what if this is the right thing or wrong thing, so he, he uh, settles conservatively. But not for the purpose of passing judgment on its opinions. Like, if I were to ask, I bet in a room this size, your opinions on school for your children, I imagine we get a variety of responses, and and quite honestly, convicting responses. Our children, my children, will not go to the public school, they need a Christian education. And your convictions are geared by a deep desire to see your children raised up into the Lord and to be able to walk in obedience in those convictions. Others will, like myself, will say, Well, sometimes we'll homeschool them, sometimes we'll send them into public school, if God will allow, maybe to private school. Right. I imagine in a room this size we could have a variety of, if we just said and stopped right here and I gave each of you an opportunity to express your opinions, we would probably find ourselves at some point disagreeing. Disagree. The people of God, there ought to be a welcoming of these things. Dating. How do the people of God express how one properly dates? I remember as a 12-year-old, I was praying for my wife it was my conviction that it would be a bad idea for Jacob to kiss a lot of girls and it was my idea at 12 to say I'm going to wait for my wife now I could make a decree that all young men should wait for their wives in kissing right but I didn't it was my conviction in fact when I was 12 I was horrified by the idea of arranged marriage um Now I have six girls. Uh. That's the one thing that's fascinating about an opinion. And the people of God recognize they can change. And we ought to be a people that recognize that in the midst of our opinions that we're operating in a way that we're trying to honor the Lord. This is exactly what Paul is trying to labor on. And we can laugh about this, but the, the practice of this is essential to understand as the people of God. Because you, you all sit in small groups together and I imagine there's going to come across a time where an opinion you don't agree with. But it doesn't fall in the category of sin. Or it doesn't fall in the category of doctrine. What do you do? Well, Paul says, this is a real issue. You got Jews who are like, we're going to honor God by what we eat. Gentiles was like, you're missing out. Because God created all things, and it's good. And Paul is talking about a real issue in which Jews themselves, you've got to understand this, Peter was troubled by this. To be associated with somebody who ate whatever they wanted was shameful to the other party. And Paul is writing out, no, the people of God can welcome diverse opinions. It's a freedom that's given to the church. And it's actually to our advantage that we know this. For the world does not walk this way. Look at me. You can see the conflict here. Now, except the one, this is verse one, I've read it like 15 times, you should have memorized it now, right? Now, except the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. One person has faith then he may eat all things. I'm with that party. But he who is weak eats vegetables only. Ask the people of God, we have to stop right there for a moment. How does one receive faith? Now, we've just gone through Romans, right? there might be this intuition in us that say, well, I am responding in faith. We ought to be careful. Because Paul's already taught us in Romans chapter 12, verse 3, for through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, ought to think more highly than himself, right? Then he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith, and the faith that one possesses plays a big role in how they determine their opinions. And here you have an issue. One person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. How do they get to those conclusions? It's a response of the measure of faith that they have. Look at verse 3. The one who eats is not to regard with contempt um, Another way to, re- to read this, some of your translations might read, despise the one who does not eat. And the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats, for God has accepted him. The God who has saved sinners through Christ Jesus accepts all of his servants based no matter what on their opinions. God's given freedom to his people to walk according to their convictions. Verse 4, so who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master, he stands or falls? Who makes a man stand? Christ. It's the, he who began a good work and you will see it to its completion. The ability that we even have faith is the grace of God. God called us. He will stand for the Lord is able to make him stand. He stand in Christ because of what God has done. And we respond to the measure by the faith that's been given to us. Look at verse five. So one person regards one day above another. Now, commentators love this verse, and they go all over the place, like, you know that the Jews love the Passover. The Gentiles have just come to know Christ, the greatest day of all time is Sunday. Why? Because that is the day when the Lord has risen. But what about all these other holidays? And then on top of that, for a Jewish audience, we don't worship on the Lord's Day. We worship on the Sabbath. That will create conflict within a church. Still to this day, it does. Between churches. Still to this day, we have, we call them denominations that separate over the day of worship. Should it be on Saturday or Sunday? And if you don't believe that these are real affections. man. You want to know somebody's opinion? They'll tell you. Why? Because it's embedded in their emotions. So One person regards one day above another. Another regards every day alike. I don't care. We'll do Wednesday night. We can worship on Wednesday night. I don't care. Just tell me when it is. I'll be there. No, it has to be Saturday. You just hear the conversation. You really don't know Jesus or love him if it's not on this day. Participate in the Passover, you can, you can just see the, the decrees that could get, get made. Every person must be fully convinced, though. One person regards one day above another, another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. If you come to an opinion, God has given you the freedom to respond according to your conviction. What an incredible freedom God has given to the church. You get to think of how to live your life rightly before the Lord as it relates to your children, to your future. But the point is that Paul is saying, you must be convinced in your mind that you're doing this for a reason. Well, what is that reason? Look at verse 6. I've underlined them here for the sole purpose to recognize what is it, the aim of Paul's mind here? If you have an opinion, it must accomplish this aim. So he who observes the day observes it for the Lord. And he who eats does so for the Lord. For he gives thanks to God, and he who eats not for the Lord. He does not eat and give thanks to God, For not one of us lives for himself, not one dies for himself. For if we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord. What's Paul's point? When we come to an opinion, and we recognize the diversity that will occur even amongst the people of God, even amongst ourselves, The convictions that we come to ought not to be for our approval of one another, but for the glory of the Lord. We do these things, we make our decisions for the benefit of our Savior. We don't do them for ourselves because no one lives for themselves. No one even dies for themselves. No, rather we recognize as the people of God we become as Adam said several weeks ago that we are slaves of Christ and now we live towards that aim. And in light of that pursuit of that aim now we even shape our opinions towards that aim. Verse 9. For to this end Christ died and lived again that he might be be Lord both of the dead and of the living. If Christ is Lord of the dead and he's Lord of the living, he's handled the big stuff. And it's, it's, I think it's helpful and humbling that God has given us this freedom even in the little stuff as he's handled these big things for us. We all know At times, this idea or this model, we fall short of in practice. I think over the last couple of years, or just in my life, there have been so many opinions, so as to prove I'm thinking rightly, other than I'm pursuing everything in my conviction to honor Christ. Christ. It defeats the argument. The friend that I grew up in high school that only wanted to eat lettuce on a bun, if she was doing it for the Lord, what right do I have to judge that practice? It doesn't fall in the category of sin. It doesn't fall in the category of doctrines. God has saved his people and given them freedom to walk according to their convictions. And as the people of God, we get to entertain those opinions in our fellowship and gatherings. And we recognize, just as I, when it comes to dating, might like the advantage of arranged marriage. Um, My kids are out in the other room, so I'm safe, right? Um, But, but, The point is, is that we recognize that opinions as we grow in faith, we change. But how do they change? It's like one thing that you love, like I remember when I was younger, I held to things that I would not hold to today. And if I had brothers and sisters in Christ that rebuked me then, but rather accepted me, like I probably, I don't know where I would be. I remember once dealing with an issue and being treating it as decree when it was freedom. Like and we do this all the time with different issues. The Baptist tradition has done it, I think, I gotta be careful. I give me grace here as I handle it, but alcohol. Right? Like we if you read the scriptures, there's a day when Christ returns and it talks about in Isaiah, a lavish blanket. And it says it twice twice right twice aged wine you might have heard even our own tradition like oh the wine that Jesus made was watered down stuff that's not right what were we doing we were recognizing as the church some of y'all shouldn't be drinking because it leads you into sin and at times, we make decrees then for everyone. And that is just one example of how we've done this. Think of it as a church. What songs do we sing? Well, that'll give us some opinions. How long should the pastor preach? Well, I have my opinion, and I'm convinced by it, right? But how many services should a church have before it church plants? We you know our convictions. Our elders want a church plant. We don't want to go to a second service. We'd rather send. Now we could make a decree that all churches should end their services, multiple services. Well, that would be wrong. Why? Because he's given to the people of God freedom. But I recognize I'm using illustrations within the people of God is in the church. We recognize everybody that comes into even our own fellowships are weaker in their faith. They're at the beginning of their journey. And their convictions are going to change as they grow in Christ. And then the people of God ought to honor those convictions and walk with them and grow with them and extend love towards them even when it stands in the total opposite position. And I think the practice of this is very difficult. But what would be the vehicle that actually controls our response to one another? Paul, Paul had to deal with this with another church in Corinth. Talk about their issues. They they were dealing with sin and they were dealing with doctrine. But they were also like with other things as well. How do you respond to one another? And he teaches them in 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15. For the love of Christ controls us like, that's what moves us in our relationship towards one another. Having concluded this, that one died for all. Look at this doctrine. Therefore all died and he died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Like The standard by which we shape our opinions as Paul really hopes that the believer would get when they read Romans 14 is that whatever your opinion be, does it accomplish this aim for the Lord? And if it doesn't, then maybe we should rethink our opinions. Because some things we do are for self. And Paul says, if you have an opinion, does it reach this aim? And if it falls short of it, start thinking. And be fully convinced in one's mind that it's for the Lord. And when he comes to, or she comes to this conviction, let us be gracious towards one another. And sometimes, as we grow in Christ, those opinions might change. Right? Um, it can be so many different things. Uh, Colossians 3:17, I think, does it like here's the expectation for the church. Whatever you do, which covers everything, do it in word. Or deed, do in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks through him to God the Father. If you decide to homeschool your kids, do it for the Lord. If you believe that your children can impact a classroom with the character of Christ and express the gospel in regular uh, recess opportunities, that it can't be for the Lord. And we don't have to come to our opinions where we begin making decrees for all people because it's not what Paul teaches. And I don't think it's healthy for the church. Rather, we recognize we welcome one another in the vast um, opportunities of opinions that we will all endure. All right, three. How do we respond convictionally? We're going to come back to this. We're just tiptoeing it in this week. But I'd like to just think for today, because Paul, I think, if he wants to communicate anything, it's those two aspects. He wants the people of God to welcome diversity of opinion, but to test those opinions acting in full conviction of, their, uh, of one's own mind that it is for the Lord. That's the aim. Welcome that within your people. I grew up um, swimming. I I love the pool. My family loves the pool. Uh, when we were in Dallas, when I wanted to rest, I was in the pool. Today, I swim all over the place. Um, one thing that I've learned, now that I have six kids, right? Uh, I said I had six girls, I have five girls. <laughs> Did we get any more? <laughs> um, uh, but one thing I learned about swimming is every kid. S- learns to swim differently. And when you put a kid in the water, they're convinced in their mind what they can and cannot do. Uh, Jessa and Miley, like, just, and they were swimming. Lincoln, it took him a little bit b- more, but um, he caught on, he t- he's ha- has my curse, he sinks. Um, we don't float. Um, but he figured it out. It was this last year, I thought, okay, more um, You'll just learn to swim like Miley. Miley just did it. And she was like two. It's crazy. I have videos of it. Um, Amora is not Miley. Um, and I tried to get her to swim too, too soon. She would see me swimming next to her, or coming towards her, and she would get out of the pool because she knew what her dad was going to do by bring her into the, deeper into the pool. Um, she was fully convinced in her mind, life on the step was best for her and I think um, as we're learning to try to figure out this Christian life and how to honor Christ and the gifts that we have what I think what Paul is going to hit at is this incredible love and patience that we ought to have towards one another we can be the the people grabbing the Amoras and pulling them to the deep end But if you saw me doing that, you might report me to someone. (laughs) Because we know that's not right. That every individual gets to learn how to swim. My pastor in Texas, he would often say the church is like a swimming pool. There's some people that are just trying to learn to tread water. And how they think about predestination is really not important right now. What they're trying to figure out is how does the gospel shape my marriage? And as the church of God, we ought to be a people that can recognize that we're all at different parts of our journey. And the reality is, is that even with Amora or wherever every kid is at, a good father doesn't <laughs> despise his child because he's like, she likes sitting on the seat. Like Paul says, the one who eats is not to, be, not to regard with despise. Four-year-old should be able to swim now. That attitude—if that were to creep it in with the church—how awful would that be? And that's how we do deal with opinions sometimes, um, because we all have our convictions, and we ought to all come to our opinions. Because the aim is that we ought to be a people who do things for the Lord with our fullest convictions. I have learned this. Um, we can have a variety of opinions. Some of us are down to the point of a Bible translation. We'll have our opinions on these things. So what's best? We'll have our opinions on, i am putting forth a whole bunch. But if we're careful, not careful, we can make these into decrees. What is it, I was thinking through this, that uh, lets Amora uh, play on the step? She's swimming now. But what was it that motivated me to do that, to give her time? It's love, right? Because I want my kid to love the pool. And I think for all of us, like pursuing Christ is the greatest thing that you could ever do. It's worth giving up everything for. But as we come to those convictions in ourselves and doing that, let us be the people of God who recognize the variety of opinions that we have and love one another. As we know, over time, our opinions will probably change. And then you could tell me, ah, you changed. In love and grace. But some of us, our opinions will not change. Just like we've said some of you. Alcohol is off the table. And it's good that we call you to those things. We've got to be careful how we treat one another, love one another, and respond as we all come to our own convictions and these opinions. And when we come to these convictions, may we be a people that come to the conclusion that we do these things for the Lord. And when we do, we love God and we can begin to learn how to love one another. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the grace that you give us. The wonderful thing that you give us is the grace to be able to learn to, how to respond to this gospel that you've given to us. I know that every single one, every single one of us desires wisdom. We desire wisdom in how we walk with our families, in the workplaces, We have all sorts of different gifts. Some of us are reaching people that we would never be able to reach. I could never reach. And you gifted us with all these different things, Lord. And we've come to opinions that uh, in the practice of living out our faith, Lord. Lord, I pray that that standard that we do these things for the Lord would be our aim. And I know that at times our lives will look different because of these opinions, But, Lord, I pray as a people, as we love you and pursue you, that we would also, and through those opinions, express a love towards another who has come to a different opinion. But also, Lord, let us not be the people who assume an opinion in in exchange for sin. But we do care about each other. That we not walk in sin. And we do care about what we believe. But Lord, as it relates to the freedoms of our convictions, Lord, I pray that we would walk in a way that would be for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.